Hello, and welcome to Sherlock, from Adler to Amberley. An attempt to analyse all 56 of the Sherlock Holmes short stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. In order. Starting with the first story, A Scandal in Bohemia, featuring the celebrated adventuress Irene Adler, and finishing with the final story of the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, The Retired Cullerman, where Holmes and Watson accept the case from Mr Josiah Amberley. Hence, from Adler to Amberley. My name is Carl Kopak, and I'll be presenting this irregular series along with a special guest as we attempt to assess the value of each tale of the canon. The Adventure of the Yellow Face by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, a recap. Holmes and Watson begin the story in an uh, unusually active frame of mind. They've gone for a walk um, around the local parks and um, only to return to find that um, a caller has been, um, according to the page boy, he was uh, very sort of agitated and kept asking when Holmes and Watson would, well, Holmes, uh, kept asking when Holmes would return. Um, Holmes is a bit frustrated that at first, but um, he's intrigued by the fact that he's left his pipe behind. Um, he then goes through a series of deductions. He says he, he, he clearly valued it, he's got good teeth, um, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And... Um, None of this is particularly of any interest to the story as such. It's just a, a really nice opening to the, to the tale. Um, eventually, the visitor does show up, um, and his name is Mr Grant Munro. Um, uh, Holmes pulls off another trick by calling him by his name before he's even introduced himself because he's obviously seen that he's got his name in his hat band because he left his hat... Um, uh, only puts his hat on the table. Um, so they settle down to hear Grant Munro's story. Um, it involves his wife, um, Effie. Effie was married um, in uh, America, um, Atlanta, and um, uh, her husband and her, uh, her, her child uh, died of yellow fever. Um, so she uh, obviously was devastated by that and came back to England and came moved to England to um, to set up a new life. Whereupon she met uh, Grant Munro. Um, and they're very, very happy. They're a very happy couple. And um, she gives him his money. Money is always important in Sherlock Holmes stories. She gives him a lot of cash and all the money and says, like, you know, I'll just take it, you know, just give me the money when, as and when I need it. He's got no problem with that at all. He's a, he's a hot merchant, I think. And um, so, you know, they, they, they're quite well to do. Um, and then one day she comes up to him and says, I, I need £100. Um, but I'm not going to tell you why. And he's a bit taken back by that, but he thinks, okay, it's her money, I can't really argue. And he gives her £100, which is a phenomenal amount of money. Um, a year's salary, um, well, two years' salary for a, um, a, a governess, we've learned previously. Um, and then she starts acting a bit weird. She sort of, um, she's noticed that there's some new people moved into a cottage and they're not far from where they live in Norbury. Um, and one day... Um, Monroe is walking down the street and um, he looks up at the cottage and he sees that there is a yellow face at the window um, which he completely is stunned by um, tells Effie this and Effie gets very sort of you know jump, jumpy about it and he's aware one day that she's actually left the house and gone to see the cottage gone to the cottage and of course he's very suspicious at this point why is she going to the cottage 
Why does she need... Um, what, what's going on with, with, with the, the creature with the yellow face? It's a really livid yellow, apparently, um, which is very strange indeed. Holmes uh, and Watson say, OK, look, it's, it's, it's not life-saving... Um, sorry about that noise. It's not like it's not life saving, or you know, no one's in danger. We'll come down tomorrow and have a look. So he goes down there then. Um, Holmes then um, decides to, to sort of have a chat with Watson about what he thinks going on, and um, he, he says that um, he thinks that the the, the husband um, uh, didn't die, and he's come back to blackmail her, or someone's come to blackmail her. So she's gone around the cottage for the hundred quid. He doesn't mention the yellow face. Uh, maybe some sort of disguise or something like that. So they go down to um, Norbury, and um, Monroe has, has had enough of um, wondering what's going on, and he bursts into the house. It's just a little bit illegal, I'd say. Um, they go in there, and um, Effie obviously begs them not to go in, but they need to find out what's going on and, and what, what's going on with the yellow-faced creature. Um, it's actually a child. It's a, it's, a, it's a girl, and she's wearing a mask, um, he takes off the mask and um, reveals that the child is of mixed race heritage. Effie then tells um, uh, them all about her first husband, uh, John, who was a lawyer in Atlanta, um, uh, and he did die in America, um, but the child actually survived. Um, so Holmes got that one completely wrong. Um, she then came to England, couldn't bring her daughter with her um, because she was too ill and because of yellow fever. Um, but after they were married, um, she got word that the daughter was moving, um, you know, with, with a governess had come back to had come back to England, Norbury, and um, she hit her because you know she thought you know Grant Monroe wouldn't want a mixed race child and all the gossip and what have you. They, these being the times, um, so she asked for a hundred pounds to sort of, you know, the, so the money was basically to bring them back to England um, and put them in the cottage. Um, she is petrified that Grant Munro is going to um, basically disown her for not telling the truth, and you know, obviously there's a, there's a racial element to this, which is revolting. And um, to her surprise, um, Grant, who she previously calls Jack, I should say, um, maybe that's why he was annoyed. Uh, he um, takes the child immediately, and they decide to say, "No, okay, this is this is now our child, and we will build a new life together." Um, Holmes then, of course, realizes sits in front sits in front of Watson and realizes that every single thing he said in this story has been a mistake, and he's leapt to conclusions and got a bit cocky about it. So he says, um, "Watson, if I should ever ever strike you that I'm getting a little overconfident in my powers or giving less pains to a case that it deserves, kindly whisper Norbury in my ear, and I should be infinitely obliged to you." The Adventure of the Yellow Face. Our guest this week to discuss The Yellow Face is Paul Miller. Paul is the author of two tongue-in-cheek Holmesian books. Uh, one is called Watson Does Not Lie, which is an attempt to date all 60 of the Holmes stories without resorting to calling Watson a liar. And a short monograph called What Was Sherlock Holmes an Elephant? I can help you with that one, Paul. No, he wasn't. Uh, both of those books are available on Amazon. Paul became interested in Holmes after watching the BBC series, which led him to reading the canon and becoming obsessed with the great detective. He lives in Portsmouth, which is, of course, the spiritual birthplace of Sherlock Holmes, as Doyle wrote two Sherlock Holmes stories while he was living there. And Paul is a member of the Sherlock Holmes Society of London, as are John and I, the John H. Watson Society, Doyle's Rotary Coffin, and more importantly, and this is very difficult to say, the Shingle of South Sea. And I've done it in one go. Uh, that last is a member, is a society which only has one member, 
Paul himself. But he does meet up with himself in his shell loft every month, and the minutes for those meetings are available online. Right, so the way this works, we've already done the intro and everything. Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you a few questions first about what you do. Um, nothing too heavy. If you can think about the worst Sherlock Holmes story, that's the, that's always the end question. Okay. Uh, um, and then we'll get on to whether this is racist or not. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> it isn't, but sort of is. But it's not because of his fault. It's just the times. And he's actually done something really nice, but it does feel quite uncomfortable reading it. That, that's my take on it anyway. But. Yeah. It's an odd one. Yeah. Because he's ahead but it's of not the curve. <laughs> but, and then he goes way behind it for the three gables yeah. later on. Look, Watson, he's black. They yeah. shout at the screen. <laughs> Look at I him. Think, uh, well, maybe we'll save it for later. But I think I think Wisteria Lodge is worse. Yeah, that's not pleasant at all, is it? Yeah. See, it, me. They're all three, savages. Three, yeah, exactly. Uh, three gables, you can make the case that he's just goading the bloke and he's using whatever he, tools yeah. he's got to hand. Yeah. But Wisteria Lodge, no, that's just outright racism for the sake of racism. He's clearly a cannibal. Why? He's foreign, Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the colour of his skin. Turn <laughs> up to the port of Sign of Four as well, that one's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it, yeah. See this little savage? He's all right, you know, he's my friend. Has he killed anyone? Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course he Fine. has. Fine. But, but he's loyal. Okay, that works slightly different. Okay, when you are, John. Yeah, we've been recording for the last ten minutes. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> they, can, they, can on the, they can access this on the red button afterwards. The bit where we do racist Sherlock Holmes. Lovely. Paul, thanks so much for joining us to discuss um, the miasma that is the yellow face. Um, we've just read out your um, your introduction there, and although this isn't a film podcast, it may not, it may be. I don't know. To be honest, it's not to John, but um, it's nice to see the Sherlock. It's very nice. How long has that taken you to do? Uh, it's a work in progress. It's been going since roughly 2010. It started as one shelf in the corner. Right. And it's slowly taken over. Nice. It's very nice. Before we came on out, John and I zoomed in to see what books we could borrow from you. Uh, yeah, you can't <laughs> borrow any. As <laughs> <laughs> I, I also trying to recreate two two one B in a very small box room, you know, I I, yeah. I, I appreciate the effort and you know uh, that Paul's done there definitely. That, 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 that is most pleasant indeed. Um, can you uh, you mentioned it in your bio that um, it was a BBC series that really introduced you to Sherlock? So you're, you're you're probably the latest we've got to come to the series. What what was it about the as he's known on this show, Ben Link Cucumber shows that that brought it home for you? I, I I was aware of Sherlock Holmes before uh, Benedict yeah. series. Um, I'd read some of the stories before, um, and it was watching the the first episode of the Benedict Cumberbatch series, uh, the Study in Pink. It's just amazing, and and all of the nods to the canon really made me want to go back and reread the canon. Yeah, and, and pick out all of those things that I thought. I vaguely recognised, and that's when I started getting really into uh, Homesiana generally, um, and yeah, got very carried away. I've been. To, I always talk up to um, to Neil, who's, who's the first ever guest on this show, about 
the problems with the BBC series, series, and he says in in our first podcast that the first half an hour or so of the well, the scandal and Bohemia was ultimately what it is. Um, is just about perfect homes. It's 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 faultless. They don't get anything wrong. But since then, it's just everything's got to be Moriarty. He's literally you know, he's even in hand of the hand of the Baskervilles. He's in everything, and I think that's my chief issue. I think with the Sherlock. Not that I'm ever ever, ever going to like not watch it because that'd be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um... They they got really hung up on Moriarty and Irene Adler, or Irene Adler yeah. rather, um, and and yeah, they're in absolutely every episode, and then so's Mary Morstan as well, even after she's died. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, that th- th- they c- they were clearly skilled enough to explore other characters just as well. I think their Colverton Smith was fantastic. Yes, very uh, good. For terrifyingness. Um, absolutely brilliant. Um, and if they'd done more of that, I think I would have enjoyed it more. But, you know, I'm never going to knock um, the Benedict Cumberbatch series because that's what brought me in, you know. No, and, and that's always the position of this podcast as well. I, always feel, I, I do this on every show, John. I always apologise to the audience for saying, look, I genuinely love Sherlock Holmes. So this is all done from a position of high, high affection to the point mm. of adoration. Mm. But it drives me mad when he does this, you know, that sort of thing. So I think that's where I am with the BBC series mm. yeah, as well. Yeah. And I think it's our just, is we're, 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 we're critical from a loving standpoint. It's the same thing we do with the short stories as well. You know, it's yeah. criticised and sometimes mocked from a position of love rather than of, of hate. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, oh, it's part oh. of the fun as well. Oh, well, that may change when we do later stories, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yes, everyone. Um, um, I, I, sadly, I missed your talk at the uh, Sherlock Holmes Society of London um, the other night, but John said he, he found it incredibly amusing. Can you, can you give us a brief overview of what we missed? And can um, I go back and watch it? Because I'm really annoyed I missed it now. I am <laughs> told that the Sherlock Holmes Society of London are going to share all of the video from the evening oh, at some point. But I've also re-recorded that speech myself as well and put it on YouTube. Oh, um, okay. So I've, I've done like a second version. Uh, yeah, it's it's a bit scrappy, but it will do. Um but yeah, basically, I examined uh, the Blanche Soldier, and and exactly why Holmes had decided to write that story up, and uh, concluded that there was a coded message hidden in it, uh, which was basically that Sherlock Holmes predicted COVID nineteen. Yeah, I'm hooked. Yeah, I'll be reading that. I'll be watching that <laughs> later on straight away. I've got no problem with that at all. I don't mind the old conspiracy theory here. I'm absolutely fine with that. And uh, let's face it, he was a very bright man. He was very prescient in his way, so why not? Exactly. <laughs> 30 years in the future. You know, he said that you could follow the great chain of life whenever you know one link of it. He did exactly that. He's gone right on to vaccines. Interesting. Okay, I will certainly have a look at that. And, of course, you've recorded a theme for this show as well. I did, yeah. That was, that was because that tune got stuck in my head and it was the only way to get it out. We're going to be putting it. I'll put that on the link as well. Yeah, I'm definitely going to put that on the link when we record it. That's really good. Let's um, let's move on to uh, the yellow face. Then we've been discussing this before the show started. 
And we've decided between the three of us that it's problematic, but it's also very interesting. I'll, I'll just give you some of my thoughts of this before. Um, so John and I sit down after a show and say, right, what's next? Who'd be good for this, etc." And I can normally tell what sort of show it's going to be because all of us will go, oh, that'd be good. Or, oh, really? That one. And <laughs> the yellow face I've always just considered to be a par story. It's all right. It's not, there's no action. I mean, literally, there's none. Man walks into room. That's it. Um, but it's so interesting in many ways, which, which we'll come to about, you know, Sherlock um, just basically getting every single thing he possibly could wrong in this. Did, did you enjoy the yellow face? I, I like the yellow face. Yeah. Yeah. It's the story that I like. I would agree that it is not a great Sherlock Holmes story. No. But what it is, is a great Grant Munro story. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. But that, that is, of course, where his name is Grant, which again we'll come to, because it, yes. it does change it, <laughs> changing the story occasionally in a sort of... Um, I must have mentioned um, on this show, John, Don of Stell's autobiography, which is the most rare book in the world, where he um, tells the same anecdote four times. Uh, lofty Don of Stell. Yes. Yeah. The book is called um, Sing Lofty, Sing the Thoughts of a Gemini, where apparently he... Um, relays the same anecdote four times he self-published it just before he died and it's it's apparently one of the most funniest most bitter uh, autobiographies ever and it's um, and just really strange ones like he doesn't mention the fact he's married but then mentions his divorce and um and at the end he does um there's long takes of how much he does Roxdale town hall and then there is a list of venues he's played with full postal codes next to it and um so so when um that always makes me think about, like, you know, when they get their names wrong and things like that. If, if, if you haven't read the story, anybody, it, it's everyone. It's just the fact that his wife calls him Jack rather than Grant for one bit. And it just makes me think, Donna Stell thinking, I think I'll just mention that anecdote again, shall I? And not bothering to go back and check it. So Sir Arthur wasn't great at going back and checking um, from what I picked up. So I, I've always thought it was quite an, a, a sort of, again, average story. If it comes up on, you know, if it's shown on cable TV or something like that, I'd always think, oh, it's the yellow face. Mm. Rather than, hey, speckled band, silver blaze, you know, the, the big lads, none of that stuff at all. It's always been sort of all right. I, I find that the, the subtlety of this story compared to the other ones, like the big adventures, which really is what draws in generally, but the subtlety of this yeah. one does make it interesting. You know, um, it, it, nothing terrible happens like you know it's and it's not thoroughly tedious like uh say the veiled lodger where literally nothing happens at all um but yeah it's 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 not got that adventure story side of it so uh, i enjoy it for that i i you know someone's doing a version of the yellow face it's like well how are they going to handle this when it's so out of the normal well, I, I made a magnificent error this week, which I've not told John just yet. I um, I emailed friend of the show, friend of ours, now he's our friend, Bert Cools, about when you do the radio shows and you've got a show, a story like The Yellow Face, how would you make it dramatic when there is literally nothing going on? And I also mentioned Vale Lodger, which is handled brilliantly by BBC Radio 4. It's really, really well done. Because as, as Rob Nunn said, man goes to house, man goes home, something. That's the entire story of the Vale Lodger. 
Mm. Um, and he, he said, Carl, I didn't dramatize those stories. So this is the, the, the background of research I've done into these shows <laughs> at the moment. I thought he said, but well, well, you do this, Carl, you would do this. And he mentioned you'd, you'd make it sort of dramatic as possible. You'd move stories around, you'd alter time frames, and you'd, you'd build your silences in as much as you can as well to make the story work. Mm. And uh, But you can't really do that for a man who's just basically been told, something wrong with my, with my wife. Shall I go and sort it for you? No, I'll do it. <laughs> done it. And that's the story. So, But I see your point. I'm, 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 it's interesting you say that because it's, this is the third story of memoirs. And the first two are big adventure stories. Mm. Silver Blade is one of the biggest ones. Cardboard Box, which I, I still really like, and it's the most macabre. And it reminds me of some ways in, in, about, of an album by a band who think, let's kick off with the big single, track one, side one. Number two's got to be good. As, we need a ballad for the third song. And I think Yellow, Yellow Face is a ballad. Yeah, I can go with that. Yeah. Good, because I've just thought of it, and I'm really pleased with that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's something on Abbey Road, as opposed to coming together. John, I'm putting that on the press release. I'm definitely going to put that. It's something by the Beatles. <laughs> as opposed to Here Comes the Sun. Um, John, what did you think of the yellow face? I've never really asked you this. Um, It's, it's a weird one, Um, because Holmes... Isn't very Holmes in it. Um, he does. It's the know, exact opposite. But his deductions aren't very good for Holmes. And then, you know, he comes up with a theory that's completely wrong without, you know, before actually looking at anything in the case. <laughs> and then he gets there. He doesn't really do anything. He's just kind of like, it's almost as if he's there for hired muscle while the guy goes blundering in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's. I, I think you could change the name of the characters from Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson to two completely different people, and the story wouldn't might be actually better. I don't think it's a very good home story. I don't like it much as a home story. But as Paul said, as a Grant Monroe story, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is something we've discussed before about, you know, did, did Sir Arthur just think of a good story and then think... I think on to make that sell, I'll just put Sherlock in it. And even if it doesn't really well work as a Sherlock story, he just thinks, well, now it is. I mean, Hound of the Baskervilles doesn't need Sherlock. It's an interesting story anyway. But he's obviously just thought, well, might as well cram him into this one. So but more people are going to buy that. Wasn't it sold to the publishers on that basis? He said you can have it for this price without homes in it and this price with Oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh, I like that. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so you can have a sort of with or without in a sort of Virgin Mary, Bloody Mary type way. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's basically vegan homes. Yeah, you do the same with Valley of Fear as well, perhaps, you know, because... You don't need, a, don't, you don't need homes in Valley of Fear at all. <laughs> I don't know the the, the um, deduction that he does before we get into uh, Birdie Edwards' story. Yeah. It's very homesy. It's it's yeah. very homesy and and uh, yeah, it does fit. But I, I'd say that's another one where that's really a very good Birdie Edwards story. Yeah, you know, um, and then Holmes gets involved and ends up getting everyone killed. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
you know, Arthur Conan Doyle, he did like recycle story ideas and story tropes. And that's coming. That's that's the next one we're doing. We're doing Stockbroker's Clark next. Yeah. Are, are there any other ones like the Yellow Face that we can think of? Uh, in terms of lack of action, there's a, quite a few of them, but um, not really. There's a flat-out racist one coming, which we discussed before the show started, and we discussed last week and well, last whenever the last show was on the cardboard box. But no, I, I mean, I, I I think I'm with you on this, Paul. I I, I like the yellow face just because, um, as what Watson freely admits, look, I'm putting this in because he got it all wrong, and just to show he's human. And I think that is a great part of it because, as we've said before, with the Agatha Christie Poirot story, he gets it right more, so he gets it right. And, you know, no matter how bad this is, we know he's going to get it right. And he doesn't do it with home. So this is his. And it is a defeat, I think, this one. It is a mm-hmm. defeat for him. Because even though he couldn't really say, ah, what, yellow mask? Oh, I'll tell you what's happened there. She's gone to Atlanta. Uh, no, you know, he's not going to get this. He can't de- deduce that from 221B. But I think this, he, even the start is quite interesting because it's very rare because they're moving around. Sherlock and John start the show outside of Baker Street, and they're moving around. They don't normally do that. It almost feels like the entire story is Watson trying to show us a different Holmes. It's like, yeah, I always show you him winning and having an adventure. This is what he's really like. This is what he's like day to day. Yeah. Yeah. He's very cantankerous. He, um, uh, I, I, I like the, the fact that he, he's mildly annoyed at Watson that he's missed Grant Munro and sort of blames him. Mm. And the sort of, oh, yeah, he's left his hat, so he's all right, you know, and uh, and he's, I think he leaves his pipe for me or something as well. And it's, oh, yeah, of course he leaves his pipe. And, he, and it's, I like the fact he sort of blames him because he's had to go and do exercise for no reason whatsoever and go for a walk, and now he's missed something that's, uh, yeah, exactly. as he says, he's, he's, he's in dire need of a case, and it's your fault, John. You're in and your, it, you're in your vitamin D. And it's such a, a lovely description of a, a spring walk around Regent's Park, you know, yeah. where the, the buds are just coming out. The sort of thing that after a year of lockdown, we're all craving actually getting out and seeing. <laughs> and Holmes's response is, where well, you waste my time. You completely yeah. <laughs> ruined my day by taking me out to this lovely place in the sunshine. Still, I've got a hat to look at, so you know it's not a bad, not a bad afternoon. That was a pipe. <laughs> a pipe. You're thinking of uh, Blue Carbon. Oh, so he takes his hat off, doesn't he? He reads his name. He reads yeah, his name. Yeah. It's, it's Grant Munro, which is clearly not written by his wife, as we'll discuss later. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's where he leaves his pipe there as well. So I, I really like that start of it, and we, we might as well cover the um, uh, the whole Holmes thing. I can't think of another story where he is so spectacularly wrong. From start to finish, he doesn't get actually. He gets the um, he gets the deduction right, but it's completely irrelevant deduction. This man has good teeth. You amaze me, Holmes. You know it's 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 it's, it's not exactly you know mind read the mind reading scene from cardboard box, is it? It's, no, no, it's it's really not. Um, and and as you say, he's completely wrong from the off as well. I. I I like reading between the lines of the stories and like you know trying to figure out what was going on. You're not trying to get and, COVID into this again, are you? <laughs> not not on this one, no. <laughs> I mean, come back to me in a week and I'll see what I can do. But. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <yeah. laughs> but look, there's uh, a mask. Ah, there's a mask involved. Eh? You you've got this talk of uh, uh, Holmes is saying something along the lines of uh, 
what is it? I'm badly in need of a case at the moment. So he's obviously bored out of his mind. Yeah. There's a there's a reference to the occasional use of cocaine. Yeah. I I get the feeling that he's bored out of his mind. He's resorted to cocaine, and this is Watson's way of holding up a case to him and saying, "Look what it did to you." Look what it did to you. You did exactly yeah. what you said you shouldn't do. You yeah. theorised before you had any data. Well, I'm, I'm going to give John credit for this because this is this John came up with this on an email earlier today. Because um, he, he just every, every single his his most famous maxim, he goes completely against it. Yeah, it, it's a cardinal sin to to, um, to theorise without data. He, he doesn't even get data no. on this. No. He no, just leaps straight in. Oh, it's um, yeah, it's clearly you know. So are we concluding it? then that Sherlock Holmes is off his tits on Charlie during this story? I think he is. <laughs> I think that's why he went wrong. But it also explains the exercise. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's Watson trying to get him to lay off for five minutes. <laughs> I'm sure Watson gave him a brandy as well before they went out. Oh, obviously, obviously, doctor, he's, he's got to give him brandy. That's the law. <laughs> yeah. And, well, taking the air, isn't it? And then some brandy and. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then head down yeah, to Low Sand for a week. More likely to kill you, but yeah. Yeah. I just. Um, it, it is such an unusual start. And um, what, what do we think of um, Grant Munro? I like Grant. I like Grant a lot. He seems to be very uh, ahead of his times. Yeah, I think that I was thinking exactly the same. He, he's he's got. Um, I mean, he, he's clearly got no no toxic masculinity. Long no. before that phrase was ever a thing, you know. Um, yeah. He trusts. He, he comes in. And he says, "Look, you must know. I know she loves me. I trust her." That's my favorite bit. Um. But I don't know what to do. Um, yep. So, yeah, he's really positive in that sense. There's there's the fact that um, he doesn't want to take her money when they marry, even though this would be like a year at most after those laws were passed. So it was still tradition. Yeah, yeah. The woman's property becomes the man's the second they marry. Um, yeah, the law had changed slightly very recently but um yeah he he still didn't want anything to do with that he resisted no, that and the second she asked for her money of course you can it's yours you know yeah. you, I, I didn't want it in the first place and of course at the end where it takes either two minutes or ten minutes for him to oh, we're going to come on to that we're going to come on to that <laughs> i was tempted to redo it in real time actually <laughs> the three of us recreate that scene in real time well, the, where we just the stay 10 minutes for, of silence we just stay silent for 10 minutes while we work out what's going on I, I, I can't for the life of me figure out what makes that more publishable in america than two minutes as well if anyone if, if people don't know what we're, we're talking about the uk version um when grant finds um lucy uh in the house he takes two he has a two minutes of silence while he works out and then you know he, he goes and picks up the child doesn't he um, the American version is 10 minutes long. 10 minutes of silence is an incredibly long time. Um, so much so that we were saying before the show started that Sherlock's got to start tapping his watch. Obviously, he hasn't had a fix for a day. So, you know, <laughs> there's that coming up. 
Um, Watson's a doctor. I'm not quite sure. He can have 10 minutes on his own. Just thinking, what's going on here? Why am I here? This makes no sense. Maybe that's the difference. Maybe um, Sherlock thought it was 10 minutes because he's off his nut on various chemicals. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you haven't spoke for 10 minutes. Well, I've just said... I mean, even if you take it, it's not a literal two minutes and a literal ten minutes. It's clearly like longer in the American, you know, even if it was like take a couple, you know, it took a couple of minutes to come to the thing. It might be 30 seconds. It just feels like two minutes if it's silent. But yeah, it's all (laughs) Oh yeah, perhaps ten minutes is shorter in America. Because they're nearer to the sunset. Well, you've got to write down these theories you've got, mate. They're absolutely <laughs> wild. No, last time I did that, I got put in an institution. Fair enough. <laughs> Correctly, so as it, as it happens. <laughs> um, I'll try. I'll try and keep some linear plot stuff going here with the discussion of it. Um, so Grant turns up. I, I, I agree with you. I really like him just because he. A, he's not Robert St. Simon, stroke Lord Cantlemere, stroke Lord mm. Mayor Lords. You know all the others. Um, he seems like a genuinely nice bloke who's a bit worried, who's worried about his wife. And as I say, that that line, um, you must know, that's that firstly, before anything else, she loves me. And what I really like about that is the fact that it tells the reader, it, it, forget all that, forget that. This is not a love intrigue at all. It's nothing like that. It's something It's something else. Because normally you think it might be, you know, she's like running off with whatever his name is in the cardboard box. Yeah, Alec Fairburn. Yeah, she, she hasn't ran off with Alec Fairburn. Um, he of the one ear. Um, but um, it sort of re sort of calibrates the story as well at the same time because it basically says, right, stop that, stop thinking that. We're not doing that. This is what it is. It's something that's incredibly unusual. Um, there's a few interesting things about it. I think um, he's loaded, isn't he? He must be absolutely loaded for a start. Sounds like it, doesn't it? And what what is it he does? He's a hop hop. He's merchant. a hop merchant, yeah. So he has to come to London for business, which I think every single Sherlock male guest has to do at some point. Mm-hmm. I have to go up to London for business so I can, you know, this is a reason I can come up and see you more often and not, you know, excite anyone else about it. And if he's got her money as well, I think that that's uh, you must have yeah. a favourite cash running around. But it hasn't affected him, you know. He's he's not like. Um, I keep coming back to, to, to Robert St. Simon just because I think he would be the man I'd throw out of 221B first. I yeah. think it's because he's a vital snob and, you know, be in your rooms when I call, that sort of thing. Um, and what another thing I really like about, about what he does is, oh, sorry, that Conan Doyle does is the level of intrigue he gives him just by relaying that fear he's got. Mm. Obviously, we've, we've all decided between us that Holmes hasn't even recognised any of this at all because he's in la-la land at the moment, working <laughs> out, and you know, he's, still, he's too busy thinking about the pipe and whether you know an amber is a good amber is a good thing with a fly in it or whatever. I didn't understand any of that stuff whatsoever. Oh, <laughs> I, I fell into a rabbit hole one time looking into the fake amber. Yeah, it's it's and in it, and he's right. It is quite the industry, or at least it was. Yeah. In fact, there was um one famous piece of amber in uh, the Natural History Museum up until the nineties that was 
it turned out faked in Victorian age um, that had a fly in it. And, and it was held up as a marvel because, look, here's this species of fly. And it's exactly the same today as it was in prehistoric times when it was caught in this amber. They put it under a heat lamp and it fell apart. It had just been glued together with a fly in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's true. Um, fly, flies in amber forging was quite big business back then. See, I missed out completely on this fly thing every single time I've read this story because I've apparently got the US version and it's not in there. Oh, okay. It's it's one sentence shorter in the US version, yeah. yeah. Um, there's there's loads of changes in the US version for some reason. So uh, um, none of them make sense. Today, I realised, you know, that... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's... But yeah, yeah, it's... I, there's so many things like that in these stories so you you go and google them and that's the rest of your day gone <laughs> you're trudging up all of these stories about fake amber i never knew anything about it before oh t- tell me about it as, as the host of this podcast when we did um when we did the cardboard box i thought no i'm not going to read about beecher no i refuse to read about beecher <laughs> it's a it's a picture on the wall uh, but Leslie King has got like an essay of notes on it on the site. No, no, it's just a very, very tiny scene that, you know, he's going to repeat again. If I want to read about it, I'll read about it, you know, when we come to do the resident patients, because, you know, he does it twice. So, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So I, I do sort of hold back a bit occasionally. Although oh, the notes on this are great when we, when we come to John Hebron later on. Um, so they run down to Norbury. Um, I imagine that home just stopped off at. Baker Street tube to get some wheat crunchies and a pot noodle or something like that <laughs> to keep him going through. I'm so sorry about the making out that Sherlock's a junkie. I'm so sorry about this. And let's let's, let's talk about um, about um, Effie. I really liked her just because I like the fact that she's holding it together in a sort of I don't want to lose my husband, but it is my kid, and um, she does. She definitely doesn't want to lie to him. Yeah, and and deep in her heart, she knows that she doesn't need to as well. There's that frustrating bit where she says, oh, I know you'd understand if I told you. And he says, well, tell me then. And she says, no, I can't. Yeah. And it's really frustrating. It's really easy to judge her badly as well, because she does yeah. that horrible thing of leaving her child in America for three years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, and her opinion of her husband, you know, that he wouldn't accept her, but yeah, we don't know what it was like for her. Um, no, I think that is the problem with this story in general, though. You've got to see it through the times it was written. And, and it is a bit strange that he's basically said, I, I can't tell you because there's every chance you might be a horrible racist. And, you know, we've no idea what she went through when she was living in Atlanta. Yeah. Um. Which must have been... There's a point, actually. Which Atlanta do we think it is? Atlanta, Georgia? See, definitely not. Really? Definitely not. Atlanta, Georgia. There's another... Uh, oh, come uh, Interracial marriage there was illegal until 1972. 1972? Jesus. I, which I don't quite understand. Um... Because as far as I can tell, uh, in America, it became uh, federal law, is it? 
1969 that interracial marriage was okay, but Georgia carried on for three years having it illegal. Sorry, John. If a a state law is incompatible with a federal law, it's going to be struck down by the US Supreme Court before it becomes illegal. So I think someone's got to take a court case to the Supreme Court. It's got to go through every level of court in the state, which is probably quite tricky as well. So... I might be wrong. American fans, please write in and on the postcard and tell us if we're wrong there. Yeah, please do. That's what we're at Adler2 on Twitter. I know some idiot says at the end of this programme that it's at Adler to Amberley. It's not. It's at Adler2. <laughs> no, John, I've got to change that. But yeah, as, as far as I could tell, the only two Atlantas that it could be are Illinois or Kansas. Right. Illinois was legal from 1874 and Kansas from 1859. Oh, okay. Well, so, that's a, I have to rethink all this then. Yeah. Oh, it's an actual marriage, though. Well, there is that. There is that. There's there's other stuff to back that up with, though. Um, the fact that John Hebron was a lawyer. He couldn't have been a lawyer in Georgia. Yeah, yeah. I, I did think that as well. Um and again, the only two places, the only two Atlantas where he could have been a lawyer were Illinois and Kansas. So it's definitely one of those two. Well, but as Mar- I think, I don't know if it was Marissa or, or Sarah said on the last show, um, we can't really counter Arthur Conan's view on this because he was he was very adept at um, writing stories about places where he'd done absolutely no research whatsoever, including London. Yeah. As, uh, as Trevor Bond and I decided when we did the Red-Headed League, where he's clearly never been to Clerkenwell, if he thinks it's next to the Strand. So it it does depend how much you like playing the game. Yeah, if we go with Doyle, yeah, it probably was Georgia. Yeah. In fact, we're lucky he even got that Georgia's in America. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he actually meant the country, Georgia. I, I did see. I did think that too. Was Georgia a thing before the Soviet Union? Well, he could have meant Atlantis rather than Atlanta. Paul makes furious notes here about another article he's got to write about <laughs> whether whether Sherlock is on, underwater or not. This is actually a story about a mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like, um, you know, you talk about, well, I don't like, obviously I don't like, you know, when these sort of antiquated laws don't get changed back for ages. One of my favourite things, and I apologise if I've got this slightly wrong, but I don't think I have. So obviously when, when Galileo was obviously placed under house arrest um, after he decided, after he pretty much proved that, you know, the earth went round the sun um, because he discovered the moons of Jupiter and the, the Catholic Church obviously held him there. Um, they did an investigation um, as to whether he was correct or not. And of course he was right. Of course he was. It was proved immediately by his very findings that, that this had happened. When do we think, little quiz, that the Vatican ended their um, analysis of the of the facts on this and decided to overturn their original 1610? Well, I know we've discovered the moons of Jupiter in 1610. Um, when do we decide that that, that law was um, overturned? I would guess from my days at a Catholic boarding school, it still hasn't been. No, it, it has been. Oh, I'm, I'm, guessing, I'm guessing during the, the papacy of John Paul II at some point. 1979. It's terrible. What I really like, and obviously this isn't the case, but I love the idea that I'm Catholic by as well, so please don't write in. 
Um, it's the wrong Twitter account anyway, so feel free. Um, <laughs> I just like the idea that someone had been working on it for 80 years. They died and they had to pass it on to someone else. Are you sure about this? Well, let me go and check that as well. They went another 70 years on it. By 1979, they felt pleased enough to say, confident enough to say, yes. Can I, can I point out, I was actually right in my answer as well, because John Paul II became Pope in 1978. Very well Very, done. <laughs> Very nice. You do like a rabbit hole in the show. I just thought I'd bring that in as well. Like, it, it is absolutely, absolutely mad, you know. They, yeah, but they stopped it. They went back to being like normal people and, you know, in 1972. What, not, not in 1874 then, no? Okay. Let's, take a, let's, let's investigate the option for another 100 years or so before we do that. Um, Going back to Effie then, I like the fact that also really like the fact that the house um, keeper, whatever her name is, is very rude. Yes. I love that. I don't know why I do. I just love it. We'll, we'll, we'll call you when we want you. He's yeah. a gentleman. Because yeah. that's a Sherlock Holmes. He's a gentleman. I, f- I found that interesting as well, the way that she's referred to uh, by Grant Munro as Northern. Yeah. And she's clearly got a scottish accent from the yeah. way that doyle's writing it yeah and and she's identified as scott scottish later on although for some reason doyle calls her scotch which yes. must be... <laughs> he knows how to wind up his own country <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah that's um that's the wrong manager in the fast show um they used to he said when england take on the scotch at wembley that always made me laugh always so oh. horrible um yeah, but I, I don't know why she's quite so rude, because clearly if, you know, and she's a good friend to Effie, then Effie will say, look, I'm in a bit of a tight spot here. Don't be rude to my husband if he comes along. And she's just so sniffy towards him. I think oh. she's terrified. I think uh, he's maybe, turned yeah. up on their doorstep and it's like the last thing they wanted. Yeah. And that's her knee-jerk reaction, push him away by being rude. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Because she's obviously not a horrible person. She spent three years looking after Effie's child. Yeah. Uh, and, and you get the impression that it's it's a compassionate thing, not a, just a financial thing, you know. She's willing to travel across the, the, the Atlantic to come and bring her child to her. So, there's, a bit of, there's a bit of Abby Grange in that as well, isn't there? Isn't, isn't the... Uh... She's from Adelaide, isn't she? The house, the, the very, very rude housewoman in Abbey, the Abbey Granges. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. There's a lot of interesting governesses and, and maids and servants throughout the stories, isn't there? And Watson's a bit scared of her, of her as well, which is, and speaking of which, this could be the quickest one we'll ever do. Let's do Watson Watch. We should have a, we should have a little sting there, John. We should have a little theme tune for Watson Watch. <laughs> a jingle. Watch jingle. Yeah, I want to watch Jingle. And here it comes. Yeah, he does nothing. <laughs> he takes homes for a walk. He ca- oh, and, and, and let's face it, that takes some doing these days. Um, and he's prepared to sit and listen about pipe talk. I would say that the Watson watch for this one isn't so much what he does in the story as what he does when he wrote it up. He is yeah. clearly having a go at home. Absolutely, he really story. is. He really he's, is. He's banging on about his drug taking, his grumpiness, uh, the fact that he 
completely messed up a case. And he's really highlighting in the introduction as well. This isn't the only time he's done this before. So it really feels like, uh, yeah, if if there's a Watson watch for this one, it's it's the fact he wrote this up at all and the style in which he wrote it. Um, I think I know what, what he did was have a go at Holmes. I think I know what's happened there. They've been sat down in two two one B reading the papers, and maybe Watson's a bit hungover or something like that, or one of his women from three different continents has let him down, and Sherlock's had a go at him, and they've had a bit of a fight. And he's walked off to his writing desk and thought, oh, yeah, think you think you're good enough now, right? Okay. <laughs> Norbury, anyone? And he thought, do you know what? I'm going to write it down. I'm going to write it down. Let's see how big you are there, Mr. Silver Blaze. Let's <laughs> yeah. see how Mr. The Dog That Did Nothing in the Night. I've, I've got a, uh, I, I've got a, a theory. Um, when did the Great Hiatus end? Oh, no, it was 91 to 94, wasn't it? Okay, that, that ruins my theory because no, Edward published. Let me check. I should, as someone who's written a chronology, know that off the top of my head, of course. <laughs> um, uh, it's April 1894. That's it, yeah. Turns, and this is 1893, so. Yeah, April 91, they go off to Europe. Dead during this because Holmes is dead. Oh, I, think, I, think, I think Holmes is dead. It's even worse, isn't it? Do you know I mean, are, are we all miss Sherlock Holmes? Look at this idiot. <laughs> you might as well have called the story Look at this idiot. <laughs> That's a really good point, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been over a year before the empty house is set. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he's just had enough of that. Do you know what? He wasn't all that. Let's just write this down, shall we? Um, but of course, as we say, Watson doesn't do anything, but he, he wins the whole day just by the last line in the story. Because he, cause Holmes freely gives him ammunition forever with the use of Norbury. Yeah. yeah and a that's nice a nice touch. Well. That's a really nice touch, I think. It's, it's, such, it's such a nice ending to the story as well, where Sherlock realises that, that, you know, he has been an idiot all the way through this and still is. Uh, but he does, he does have the good grace to recognise that, um, you know what, I think I've, I think I've, over, I've over-egged this one a bit, to be honest. Let's hope I sort of... What, what, what's next in your um, chronology after uh, the yellow face, Paul? After the yellow face? You're going to have to bear with me here. Because <laughs> oh, I must admit, I don't bother with chronologies at all, because I think if he doesn't even know the characters of the name, the characters' names or who they're married to, then I don't trust Sir Arthur on, on that sort of thing. It's a really badly written book. I can't find it at all. <laughs> it's available at all good bookshops. Excellent, yeah. I'll have to <laughs> rush out and get that in the morning, mate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yellow face. I've got it as April eighteen eighty four, and then there's a great big gap for several years until the Valley of Fear. Oh, okay. So it's yeah. the early adventure for the two then. It's very early, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, it when when I did my chronology, I, I tried to keep, keep it simple, and there'll be plenty of full-on chronologists who will hate me for that. Um, but it's clearly April 
because of the sticky spearheads on the chestnut trees. That's when that happens. Yeah. So that was easy enough to do. But the um, 1884 comes out of it having to be an early case because he still uses cocaine. Yeah. Um, and it has to be a year when April was quiet. Uh, and he wasn't dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's that's in, in many ways that's key. Well, you'd so, be surprised because I still yeah, exactly, that wisteria yeah. lodge happened in the middle of it. Yeah, <laughs> I still keep that date. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So um, I put it as eighteen eighty four. It could possibly be a year or two later. Okay. Okay. Oh, well, I think it's time we address the major issue of this story. I I think it's well done. Yeah, my only problem with the housekeeper, incidentally, is she's not very good at keeping the kid away from windows. Uh, <laughs> where you think that would be, you know, there would be no story if she'd done that. But it, uh, it's it's fine because she's wearing a mask. Apparently, yeah. that means it's fine. Yeah, that's that's the main issue I've got. Obviously, there's the whole, um, as we've said before, he is being incredibly progressive, Sir Arthur, in this story. Yeah. Because I can't imagine it would have been popular with everybody when it came out. Um, it's beautifully written at the end. The whole, I mean, Grant Monroe's speech at the end is just beautiful. It's so mm-hmm. nicely done, and his attitude's really good. And Watson really, really plugs that as well. But it's still uncomfortable. Now, is it uncomfortable because of Sir Arthur or because of the topic? Um, I mean, the topic is difficult. Yeah. Um, he, he uses a couple of words in there that we definitely wouldn't today. Yes. And even yeah. in quoting him, I would feel uncomfortable saying out loud. Yeah, yeah, um, I'm the same. But as you say, he was so ahead of the curve. He's it's clearly a uh, pro-racial tolerance, pro-racial yeah. integration story at a time when those opinions weren't popular. I mean, if you look at uh, what was it the the was it the Great Exhibition, uh, Crystal Palace and all that? Eighteen fifty-one. So, I mean, uh, oh, what was the later one? I'm sorry, going off track. That's what Wikipedia John for. The thing is, now I can actually see John Wikipedia John now looking this up, whereas I just always thought he had these facts to hand. there there was there was the the exhibition in 1899 and there was a savage south africa involved in it and the talk in in you know mainstream newspapers about uh african people and oh aren't they amusingly savage look at them they're quite happy living with animals all of those sort of horrible things were just mainstream opinion. Yeah. You know, it, one of the things I found was in a Christian newspaper where off the back of that, there was talk about uh, all men are created equal. And and this is an editorial piece where they're talking about, oh yeah, all men were created equal. But were they really? Because look, yeah, and and they go on to explain exactly why that doesn't apply to certain people, and principally yeah. Africans. Yeah. Um, so, at the time when this was published, this is so extremely um, 
liberal and and progressive that it's shocking frankly yeah uh, especially when you look at some of the errors Doyle made in his other writing um which you know you're going to come to eventually and rather you than me <laughs> but Incidentally, yeah. everyone, we haven't got a guess for the three gables yet, but I'm planning someone. Uh, who is it, Nigel Farage? Yeah, <laughs> let's bring him in. Yeah, he's going to be really popular. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, much though it's difficult. If you remember when this was written and what times it was written in, it should be. Uh, read i think positively um this was the seeds of things improving and and much though they need to continue to improve much yes, much more um y- you can see this is someone in a time when it would have been difficult to have these thoughts coming to a realization which i think is lovely that's why i really like this story and as i say might not be a great sherlock holmes story but it's still a fantastic story it is, it, it is yeah it really is i think what there's an irony to this um, for me when obviously the if you if you're reading it for the first time and you think is this a horror story because there's something with a yellow face staring down at them and it's very macabre and possibly there's a suggestion of the supernatural and things like that and it is a horror story because a kid's got to wear a mask because of its skin. Oh, we've um, all had to wear masks. Yeah, we've all you know we mostly see your face. I mean, talk about traumatizing traumatizing the kid. Yeah, I've just spent a year wearing a mask. It's fine. True. Like <laughs> your entire head. Did they constantly have the kid wearing a mask and long gloves even in the house then? Which it sounds like that, doesn't it? it well, yeah, like it must be. It must be because they, she's out the window. Come yeah. in on her at the end, and she's not at the window at the end. Yeah, she's so. just sat around in the room wearing this creepy mask and these gloves you know, I, I, my theory on it is a doylian one and it's that uh it was a plot device that it was meant to be a bit of a red herring yeah yeah it's, uh, I, I think it's supposed to be horror I think her husband her husband and child have died uh in atlanta of yellow fever and i think he meant to make that more of a red herring than it was that we're meant to think somehow yellow fever means you've got oh okay this. like an extreme jaundice yeah, and, and and he's still like that, that the old husband, and he's come along. So I think it was supposed to be a red herring that completely failed. Yeah. The fire could also be that as well, because all her belongings were apparently burnt in the fire. So is he trying to hint there maybe the husband was disfigured in the fire? Yeah. 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 But doesn't, doesn't Sherlock say something like that? He might be, he doesn't say lunatic, but he says something. Or am I thinking of a different story? Uh, so he's, uh, he's, he's contracted some... An imbecile. There might be an imbecile now. Yeah, they're going through the various options, aren't they? Of yeah. Why he might have been alive and she pretended he was dead. Yeah. It's quite strange. I've got a problem with also... Some, she, he says something like Lucy takes more after, in terms of her skin, takes more after her father than she does for us. Suggesting yeah, that Lucy yeah. is not mixed race at all. And and uh, there's the use of the word unfortunately in that sentence as yes, well. Yes, yeah. So yeah, much though Doyle was ahead of the curve, he wasn't perfect. No. And nor are we today, but you know, I, it, by I, today's I, standards, he's a bit off. I, I'm I'm going to defend I'm going to defend Sir Arthur here a bit by saying I don't think that's him saying unfortunately. 
I think it's the the, the situation is, but not in terms of. I wish the child was white because of a racial thing, but more because of the problems the child yeah. is going to face, and yeah. you know, me, you know, me being you know a different race from the child and stuff. The prejudice is result of a mixed race marriage. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't think it's Sir Arthur's views, but I think it's more him. Yeah, yeah. The story itself is, is an issue rather than. Yeah. Yeah, and and that would be especially true, I suppose, of Effie talking about her own daughter, which is where that line is. Yeah. You know, she's concerned about her own child's future. I think I've, I've always been slightly confused. Does she mean that the child is completely black without any of her her own skin tone? You know. That's what that's that's what I thought she said when she you know takes more after her father's side than for us. Yeah, yeah. Which that's that's, that's uh, why I've always read that line. To be honest, uh, quite possibly she seems to suggest that uh, her daughter's darker than her husband was, which, yeah. from what I understand, is not how that works anyway. But you know, that's. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's, not, it's not as if she was a doctor or anything. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How would he know? <laughs> yeah. Unless she was also mixed race, and then there's like recessive genes at play, they're yeah. possible. But so we've decided it's it's brave if a little misguided. Yeah, he did and a even, lot even, better even, even than most mis- of his contemporaries. <laughs> you know? well, but bearing in mind, I have a um, uh, one of the not not an encyclopedia as such, but sort of one of those almanac type books um, somewhere written in the 30s where it describes um black people as being subhuman to white people next to a picture of queen um uh, queen victoria it's written around that time and you know that's those those are the times you're thinking of so i i it is for me it is still an uncomfortable story but it's if it is the ballad of the memoirs of sherlock holmes i think it's a really really good one i'm i'm wondering i'm wondering if if, if ACD, I can call him ACD from now on. So I, 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 yeah, um, if I thought you were talking about ACDC album and the third song of their back, back in black album or something. Yeah, a, a, now we're a, talking a, about albums. ACD, no, that's it. That's his street name now for for uh, <laughs> for, for uh, you know, uh, Doyle. Um, sorry, I'm, it's I'm, unfortunate where his um, other middle name comes because he's Arthur Ignatius Conan Doyle, and if they yeah. were the other way around, he'd be acid. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, um no, it's, I'll I'll compose myself. I think ACD went to write a story about a message of racial um racial harmony, racial cohesion, you know, a pro mixed race marriage story and he put Sherlock in it to sell it. Like we well, That's that's exactly what he's done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, you know, he was doing good work or trying to do good work. But he will quickly undo in the three gables in a few years' time. Oh. It doesn't tally, does it? It really no, doesn't tally with the really same man isn't. that fought for, the, for uh, George Adalji. It doesn't yeah. make any sense at all. I don't know. It's still... I still can't read it, to be honest. It still absolutely baffles me. Easy contradiction after Conan Doyle is, isn't yeah. it? I mean, yeah. I mean, it was a walking contradiction. He's not a walking contradiction anymore, obviously. But, yeah. um, you know, he you know, creates Sherlock Holmes the most deductive 
an analytical mind ever known and he's a massive believer in spiritualism yeah. well we're going to come on to that when we look at the sussex vampire the fact that the entire story of the sussex vampire is about the fact that as he as i don't know if this is the radio 4 version because i do this i get mixed up between what he said in the radio 4 version and what is actually written in, in the in the, the manuscript itself where Sherlock says something like, the world is big enough, ghosts don't need to apply. And he makes out like, you know, yeah, you know, there's a rational explanation for everything. It doesn't mean that it's a vampire. Where Sir Arthur was jumping on all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Fam- famously fairies, you know, and things like that. Yep, that's definitely a thing. Ectoplasm is definitely a thing. All that sort of thing. Seances, all into that stuff. But Sherlock isn't. So I think it's quite brave for him to do that as well. He's basically writing uh, thought, against himself. I think it was quite mercurial of him. That that line in uh, Sussex Vampire is like a promise to his readers: "You can keep buying these because I won't. I won't put it in here. I won't yeah. put my spiritualism in here." And you know, why would he kill his cash cow? I think that's that's the truth of that one. Yeah. Apart from the time he literally did kill his cash cow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Until he needed to build a house in Hindhead, yeah. <laughs> Suddenly he wants some money. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to cover the final problem. I'm really looking forward to that in the empty house. Um, I think we've got pretty much all we can out of the yellow face at the moment. Um, you haven't mentioned the Jack Grant. Sorry, comment. I haven't. I really haven't. No, sorry. Um, Which is a, a weird Just one, one question then. It's not, a, <laughs> it's not a slip of the pen either. No. Because consistently through the story, everybody calls Grant Munro Grant Munro, yeah. except Effie, who consistently calls him Jack. Yeah. I do have a theory. I have I've, 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 this is why you're on, but of course one. you have. A very, very vague one. Is it and the husband? No, I think after the horrors of her life you know, being in an interracial marriage in America, she didn't want r- reminding of the civil rights movement in America, which Ulysses S. Grant played a big part of. And, I mean, that, it's tenuous, but it is a that's, theory. That's an impressive reach. <laughs> it's what I'm known for. I'll go for that because Leslie Singer um, or, or someone he quotes anyway says maybe because her husband was John Hebron, Jack is a derivative of John. But you know, uh, Jack Jack for a long time was just it, it, it was it just meant peasant. Uh, yeah, we get steeple Jack and words like lumberjack from um, it just the, the, the ripper. Workman. Yeah, so. You know, for a long time it was that, and then it was just like a generic name for, you know, people would use it like we use bloke. Yeah. So it could be, yeah, she was just being affectionate. Or once but, again, he hasn't checked his copy. Uh, it, that, that's the thing, he's too <laughs> consistent in this one. You can't blame it on that. Yeah. It's only Effie that does it, and she does it every time. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll be sentences either side with grant in them and then she says something in between them and it's it's jack so yeah i don't think it is a slip of the pen in that one i think for some reason he thought it was a suitable uh replacement 
affectionate replacement for Grant when it's. And I think he's. I think he may have explained that. Then cut the line without realizing that it affects everything else, which, that, which can happen. Yeah. I'm just loving the idea of Grant the Ripper. It's not quite. It's not quite the same thing, is it? <laughs> no. no. Saucy, saucy Grant. Not really. Extenders Grant in my head. Yeah, I had that too. I had that too. <laughs> I've got Bob Grant from On the Buses, so that shows my age. <laughs> Which one's Bob Grant? The one with the teeth. Oh, yeah. Uh... <laughs> should, should, discuss... should we discuss on the buses now and how politically <laughs> correct that was? <laughs> I, I, I want to point out, I know we discussed it very briefly, the two minutes, ten minutes thing, but the differences between the US and the UK version, where they change the reference in the story to the face being yellow. Yes. Talk white. Presumably not to offend the growing Asian American population. That is, yeah. Uh, is, is but they he, leave the title. Even though the story yeah. is called The Yellow Face. Yeah, yeah they leave yeah. the title. Uh, yeah, and... Of Jack Monroe's stepdaughter. That's what they should have called it. Yeah. Yeah, and given everything away. <laughs> 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 yeah, they should have renamed Silver Blaze The Horse Did It. they they, they try and remove something that could cause one potential racial insensitivity but then they change the two minutes to ten minutes I don't understand I don't understand (laughs) just to get a breakdown of what that would be when we first mentioned the ten minute thing on this podcast we'd still be silent now if we if we Well, and as we said before we came on air, um, it's just the idea of everyone just staring at um, Grant Jack Monroe. Come on! Yeah, yeah. Except Watson, there. except Watson, who stood there with his watch, timing it. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's just holding it up, licking his fingertips. Big and grin on his face. Yeah. What's he going to say, and how long will it take him? <laughs> Sure, you go for a cup of tea or something, wouldn't you? You know, everyone's sitting down <laughs> exactly. having a cup of tea. Grant's just standing there, open. <laughs> the poor kid's horrified as well, thinking, "What the hell's going on here?" And and before I was like, "Oh, actually, this could be the most important thing in me and my mum's life going to happen here." I do wish he'd get a move on, deciding whether he's going to, you know, run off or you know, adopt me or that sort of thing. Slightly traumatic for the child, who, let's not forget, is already masked and gloved up at this point still. <laughs> Ten yeah. minutes. Wow. It's a very peculiar scene. Even Just, the, two, the two minutes in the English versions. That's still a long time. Yeah. That's a mastermind round. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. It, well, it used to be. It's 90 seconds now, isn't it? Yeah, it used to be. But, no, that's um, that's quite strange. I've really enjoyed doing this because not, not a lot happens in the yellow face, and yet we've just discovered between us that an awful lot is going on in the yellow face. Yeah. Some of it, some of it deliberate from Sir Arthur, and an all a lot of it not. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, Paul, if you were to um, uh, come on and discuss a story that you don't like, and um, the Mazarin Stone is now out of date on this one. You've I got, like the uh, Mazarin Stone. Lovely to have you on. Um, <laughs> I, I was actually going to point out, Paul Paul said he, he said on the um, 
Sherlock Holmes Society talk, and I was going to tell you that, Carl. He likes it. It's <laughs> well, your I... friend as well, doesn't she? You've got a friend, Johnny, who really oh, likes Nick, Yeah, Dr. Nicko, yeah. yeah. It gets a lot of flack, and that's because it's. I think it's written in a weird style. And but, that's terrible? Yeah, yeah. But i tell you what a turning point for me was. I saw uh, it was an all-female um, cast do a production of uh what's it called the crown diamond right so female homes and everything it made absolutely no difference because it wouldn't you know uh but fantastic as a play it is absolutely fantastic and once you've seen it as a play you can get why it doesn't work as a story yeah Um, but it has got some really nice bits in it the whole opening scene I mean, this is not the episode you're doing, but the whole opening scene where Watson arrives at Baker Street is is wonderful. His yeah, his sense good. of coming home really comes across, and and it's yeah, it's just lovely. Isn't the William Gillette play the Mother Runstone? Uh, no, didn't, didn't he no. do it? Am I thinking of something else? No, uh, the Crown Diamond was Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, and the no, when, when William Gillette did 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 a the first ever, you know, play version of a home story. Yeah, the one oh, that sure. the Holmes memes come from. Yeah. Uh, okay. He, uh, those that didn't come from it, he really reinforced. Right. I'm just trying to find the name of the theatre group that did the play, because I really should name check them. And I'm doing very badly at finding them. I think it was oh, Cellulite. Well, while you're doing that, what we could do then, John, yeah. is we could do a, we could do a for and against here, couldn't we, for the Mazarin Stone? We could do the trial of. I mean, at the moment, it's, it's you, Doctor. What's the name, Doctor Nico? Did you say, John? Yeah, Doctor Nico. Doctor Nico. So it's two against seventy-three at the moment, but um, in a court of law. <laughs> but we could do it that way. We could put it on trial. If I go back a second to the William Gillette uh, play. Yeah. Um, so that was written originally by Conan Doyle and then yeah. rewritten by William Gillette. Um, and it drew material from A Scandal in Bohemia, The Final Problem, A Study in Scarlet, and some new content. Okay. Uh, it I'm was a five play featuring Holmes and Professor Moriarty. Um, it was Obviously. Gillette, a successful playwright, donned a deer stalker and cape to visit Conan Doyle and request permission not only to perform the part but to rewrite it himself. He's already he's already annoyed me because of the deer stalker. Isn't, isn't that where the deer stalker thing comes from? Right? Yeah, I think I think that is that is. Pad- Padgett introduced the deer stalker. Gillette cemented it. Yeah. But Padgett introduced it in the scenes where he's actually travelling to the country, though, didn't he? Yeah, the Boston yeah, where it made sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was it was Gillette introduced the big curly pipe. Yeah. Um, one of his lines eventually became elementary, my dear Watson. Yeah. Just about every misunderstanding about Sherlock Holmes comes from the Gillette play, but also an awful lot of the popularity of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can't, I can't, he really I can't boosted it again, and that's why <laughs> Doyle ended up uh, reviving. Um, yeah. Sherlock Holmes. The, the pipe actually had a practical purpose on stage as well because it was easier for him to, to see his face um, and to you know say his lines when he had that type of pipe compared to the one described in the books. And... Oh, okay. So I'm learning so much on this show. I like that. So what would it be then, Paul? 
Uh, you're you're no, wrong about the last Frankenstein. We've decided on that. So what would be the... <laughs> <laughs> My worst one that I would not come back and talk about would have to be the Three Gables for yeah. that. Um, there's some nice bits in it, though. I, I, I like the bit about Susan and the Paragoric. Um, so there are little nice bits in there, but I think I would probably agree with Rob Nunn that the least eventful one is the Veiled Lodger. I still like it. I still like the Veiled Lodger. I, I never said I didn't like it, but it's yeah. the least eventful one. I like all of them because they all have something in them. I find it really difficult to like come up with one that I dislike, but... yeah. Yeah, if if there was one that I could live without, it's probably the Veiled Lodger. Yeah, but it has some really nice bits in it as well. Okay, I think we, we might do something special for the Three Gables. I think there's, there's guests I'm thinking of skipping that. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've got to go all the way. We've got to go from Adler to Wembley. Um, although we could change the name of. Bearing in mind, I've been getting the Twitter name wrong for the last two years. Uh, I, I could change it brackets. But let's not bother with the three gables, <laughs> shall we? We could, prob- could probably just instead. construct an analysis of the three gables from every time we've discussed it when we've asked this question in every single Oh, time. yeah, you, you, you just said, Paul, I know we're not discussing it now. We've been discussing this in Scandal and Bohemia. <laughs> it's on it. That and the Mazran Stones on every single show, to be honest. We're just done because we, we, we know it's coming. It's not good at all. But thank you so much for coming on to the show. I've really, really enjoyed that because I, I love shows where I learn more about the other face, you know, the, the, the shows. Um, even though Rob Lund has destroyed the Veil Lodger for me, thanks, Rob. Some um, <laughs> score quite liked it. But um, have you got anything coming up at all? That uh, any more talks or anything like that we should know about? I haven't oh, at the moment. Um, when's your, when's your next meeting with yourself? My next meeting uh, that would be the April meeting. Um, okay. And it'll be when I decide I've got something to talk to myself about. That's how I do them now. I've stopped booking them in on dates because sometimes I turn up and it turns out I haven't got anything to say to myself. And it's embarrassing for everybody concerned. Do they last 10 minutes then if you do that? Yeah, yeah. Just 10 minutes (laughs) of yourself in silence in the room. I probably approve the minutes of the last meeting, you know. (laughs) (laughs) They're all available. All the meeting all the meeting minutes are available <laughs> on the Shingle of South Sea website. Um, yeah, we did have uh, a couple of months ago our first Zoom meeting. Oh, nice. That, that was special. So you got to talk to yourself online as well as in the flesh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think you should do a recorded tour of the share loft because as I've been watching this year, I'm just noticing more and more stuff. Like the headphones on the... Uh, on the, on the, on the, on the uh, oh, what's it called? The, the, the... But that that's yeah. uh, a roe deer head. Yes, so yeah. It's not the wildebeest that I would yeah. like. But um, when I, I work in the countryside and found a roe deer skull, and was immediately, I know what I'm doing with that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I've got my roe deer skull. There's, there's an awful lot up here. It's very problematic. I see Detective Pikachu and... Uh... Numerous Sherlock Holmes. It's, it's fantastic. This is fantastic. If only you know, the listeners could see what, what I'm seeing. Can I take a pic of the room? Okay. <laughs> We're supposed to read it out. <laughs> <laughs> Marvellous. 
<laughs> Paul, th- I'm going to try and end this again. Thank you so much for coming onto the show, Paul, and we will be uh, not getting in touch with you for the Three Gables. Thank you very much. But any others, I'd be happy to come and chat to you about. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you very much. I would like to thank our hosts at Rippercast, as well as producers Jonathan Mengus and John Rees. A special thank you too to Andrew Firth, who created both the graphics and the theme music. You can contact us on Twitter at Adler to Amberley. Thank you for listening. <laughs>